0: Hey there faculty and students welcome to the April 9th edition of the Curriculum Revolution podcast where today we're going to be exploring the topic of simulation in medical education. And I'm lucky enough to be joined today by a group of simulation educators and student leaders at UMass Medical. So I'm going to start by asking the group to introduce themselves and perhaps we'll start with you Trenton.
1: Hey there, my name is Trent Taros. I'm a third, soon to be fourth year. Um, I was the head of the simulation interest group for two years um, in my preclinical years, and I do have a passion for simulation, especially in surgical education.
0: Awesome, thank you. Ann, do you want to introduce yourself next?
2: Yes, hi, thank you. I'm Ann Weaver. Um, I am a a pediatric intensive care nurse for many, many years, but also I'm a simulation educator. I absolutely share Trenton's passion for simulation education. Um, I am also currently working on a PhD that is focusing on interprofessional education and simulation.
3: Very cool, thank you, Naseem. Um, yes, my name is Nasim Gorgi. I'm one of the neonatologists here at UMass. Um, my interest in simulation started here as a pediatric resident actually, and Ann was one of the amazing um, debriefers who helped lead those PICU simulations that are near and dear to my heart. Um, currently, I'm the director of NICU simulation here and help lead other um, our multidisciplinary sims. That's great. I love that you guys share that connection.
0: Jorge.
4: Hi, uh, Jorge Erzepski. I'm one of the sim educators I job share with Ann Weaver. Clinically, I'm a flight paramedic, and I've been involved with uh, medical simulation for just about 12 years now. I'm in the process of finishing up my master's in education for health professions, and I concentrated in um, simulation education.
0: That's great. You guys are a a super educated, very talented bunch. Um, So thank you again for taking time out to join us and speak to us on this topic. Um, The first question I want to start with is around why simulation is such an effective learning tool. Maybe I can start with Jorge on that question.
4: Sure, that, you know, that's a great question. You know, there's, there's several reasons. Um, one of them is, as you all know, that we've moved away from a apprenticeship model of education. Uh, we've been able to create these learning spaces in the medical school that allow educators to deliver practical, measured, safe experiences for authentic tasks that that we need in medical school. Um, These tasks, they can be supported through deliberate practice, they can be replicated, they can be debriefed, and and we can also, um, you know, have rare occurrences, especially now, even if it's not rare, but we're pushing to have our patients um, stay, have shorter hospital stays. So that means less opportunities for students um, to interact with patients. it's also learner-centered. And, you know, in education, this is founded with, you know, some great educational um, uh, theories. And what we're really looking at is one learner-centered and that there's universal design. So, you know, students will learn from the lectures, they'll learn from the patients on the clinical, clinical side, but we can also set up this Low stakes, safe environment. So it's safe for patients, and it's also safe for the students that are learning. Um, that you know, environment that can be supported, it can be replicated, and it can be shared with over numerous times without any risk to that patient or student.
0: That makes so much sense. Thank you. The other hat that I wear is a patient safety hat, and so um, I can see everything you're saying about patient safety. Um, uh, for these sorts of high stakes learning episodes. So that's great. Can you guys, any of you can take this question, share with us examples of simulation activities that occur currently for the School of Medicine or the Graduate School of Nursing?
1: Uh, so I can speak on this a little bit.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I, I can't speak on the um, School of Nursing. However, for the School of Medicine, Uh, we've quite a few simulation activities that are already kind of integrated into the curriculum Um, our anatomy class first year especially it's dsf is is what it is uh, designated um has simulation for multiple units um respiratory cardiac uh the msk units uh i believe actually since i took those classes a couple of years ago i think they've added simulation units for uh, gi and, and maybe renal as well um and uh, additionally, I mean, simulation is peppered in all over our curriculum. Um, in terms of third year, you know, a lot of the um, skills that that are really crucially important, lumbar punctures, ABGs, things of that nature, you know, nobody wants to do their first one on a patient. And frankly, no patient wants to be somebody's first lumbar puncture. Uh, so that's also a place where, um, in our curriculum at least, uh, simulation definitely shines.
0: That's great. Um, and this question is for you. I'm starting to realize just how diverse simulation education is. Um, can you speak to the categories or types of simulation education that are out there?
2: Oh yeah, I could speak on that for several hours, so <laughs> I will try to be brief. Um, we have everything from um, what we call human-patient simulators, which can be very high-tech or very low-tech, and they can um, mimic a human person with heartbeat and lung sounds and bowel sounds, um, pulses, they can cry, they can sweat, they can vomit, um, they can make noises. They can also be the, um, the less technical ones that can just be task trainers, which is possibly just an airway head or an IV arm. Um, maybe they could be pelvic trainers or trainers to do LPs, as Trenton was saying, no one wants to do that first on on a live person. Um, We also have a very talented pool of standardized patients here at UMass. And um, these are actors who are trained not only to portray a human patient or family member, but they're also highly trained to give feedback. So they're able to really um, help our curriculum. We have hybrid simulations where we can combine a um, actor, a standardized patient, or with a mannequin or a task trainer. Uh, There is screen-based learning um, for simulation. We have extended reality. uh, Many people know that as virtual reality. Um, And we also can do what we call in situ sim, which is to kind of gather our equipment and bring it to the place where the actual clinical setting um, that is meant to be represented and, and do that there.
0: That's great, it sounds like there really is an opportunity to um, tailor the type of the experience to exactly what your objectives are. Um, Naseem, why is timing right for simulation in medical education right now?
3: Yeah, so you know, now more than ever, there's a movement toward multidisciplinary and hands-on interactive learning over traditional didactic instru- instruction. Um, simulation lends itself really well here um, as it allows learners from different disciplines to come together to work on problem solving, skill acquisition and communication skills. Um, Simulation is an adaptable education tool, which we have really lived firsthand during this pandemic. We've been able to adapt cases to a virtual platform in many circumstances. um, And this has taught us a lot about both flexibility and what is truly possible.
0: That's great. And I'll add to that. in our own local community, because we're renovating the curriculum, there's this sort of um, local reason too, to really be considering addition of uh, simulation to some of our other learning activities. Trent, you started to speak to this. Um, I'm curious what the student, you're obviously a very pro simulation student. What do you feel like the general pulse is though? What's the student perspective on simulation
1: activities? It's a great question. Um, I think in general, Everyone loves simulations, you know. I very, very rarely, um, exceedingly rarely, almost never have ever heard anything but absolute positive feedback for simulations that we've done at ICells. Especially students in the preclinical years, you know, we come here and we're so much in our heads; it's so cerebral. We're learning so much, and you know, we all understand that's the nature of medicine, it's the nature of medical school. You know, you need a really good basis to become a great clinician but you also need other skills and you need skills that need to be taught by hand. And I think preclinical students, especially just yearn for that experience. Uh, so for your first two years of medical school, I mean, simulation is, uh, you know, people look forward to it. Like it'll be circled on people's calendars for a couple of weeks sort of thing.
4: That's
0: very cool. Is there a particular um, simulation experience that you participated in at some point that was particularly effective or that you enjoyed a favorite? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm a little biased here, um, but uh, I, I actually hosted and organized um, our scrub training curriculum. Uh, it's close to two years ago now. But, um, you know, for my money, that one was was fantastic. Um, I thought we had a really good mix of kind of, you know, a hybrid simulation where we did have a, a mannequin functioning as the patient um, and iCells is equipped with, you know, essentially a full surgical suite um, and so it was really high fidelity and um, we wrote a paper about it uh, that we were able to present at the AAMC's national conference a couple of years ago. Uh, it was received really, really well um, and it was excellent because it was entirely student-run for students um, and, and I think it taught a really practical and and made something that's not approachable, i.e. scrubbing in very approachable for students.
0: And is it, was it the content, what it sounds like, that it was um, a simulation experience around scrub technique?
1: Yep, you're absolutely correct. Scrub technique, um, you know, it it was scrub technique and then even a little bit more because it was, um, you know, how you actually scrub in and then gowning and then kind of OR etiquette what to do, what not to do. It was fairly all inclusive. And, um, you know, <laughs> everyone everyone gets yelled at in some capacity third year, but I think UMass students do a good job of, of compared to my other friends in medical school, not having these crazy horror stories.
0: I was just thinking that it would have saved me a lot of embarrassment yeah. in third year surgery rotation if I had had some scrub training ahead of time, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, we thought similarly and, and it sounds like it worked out for us.
0: Yeah. That's great. How about um, for the faculty uh, on the podcast today? Is there a simulation, a specific simulation experience that maybe you either participated in as a learner or for facilitated um, as a faculty person that you felt was particularly effective or just fun?
3: Um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Great. Um, so I think for me, um, Participating in a bunch of the NICU simulations, some of the the most fun and effective sims have been the ones where the learners identify their own knowledge gaps, and it prompts this amazing discussion between them, um, where they you know come to these conclusions, and it and um, you know talked about teaching points that I hadn't even planned on.
0: Yeah, there's something so powerful about realizing your own knowledge gap rather than having somebody else point it out to you. Anyone oh, else? Thank you
2: like it's like that aha moment and, yeah. and when the learner has it themselves, it's a very gratifying moment for a simulation educator. Um, I just want to add to what Trent was saying about how students love simulation. I think they also, there's such a mix of emotion in terms of wanting to do well, but being a little bit nervous that they're being watched or that they won't do well. And I think that um, the simulationist has a great opportunity to help learners deal with those emotions, both in the pre-brief and in the debriefing period. Um, one of my most memorable sins was when one of the learners said in the pre-brief, I hope I make a really big mistake because that way I know I'll never make that mistake in the real life, in the real world.
0: I love that. That's great. All right, next question. Jorge, what kind of lessons would you say are best taught through simulation? Um, or, you know, conversely, are there learning activities that would not be suitable for simulation?
4: Oh, I, you know, I'd love to say what can't we teach? Uh, in terms of patient-centered care, I, I, I want to say no. The the limit is your imagination and and your buy-in um, with procedures and other you know otherwise skills attainment. You know we can do scenarios, difficult conversations, disruptive behaviors, trauma, surgery, medicine, pediatrics, geriatrics, the, the whole span of medicine. We can we can really simulate it in our center, um, and, and including systems training. You know we can. Help students learn how to use an EHR before they they hit the floor and, and they can contribute to, you know, maybe they don't have the skills to contribute in a a resuscitation, but they could have the skill to look in the chart, pull out valuable information, history, meds, allergies um, that maybe they couldn't before. It's really valuable for our low frequency and high acuity cases because again, we can replicate things that some students might never experience clinically while they're a student um, and some might experience once when they're um, unattending. You know, so that, that's a, another big value of it. Um, mm-hmm. We can, with the deliberate practice, go over common important skills as basic as hand washing to scrubbing to sutures, airway, um, IVs, central lines, uh, all those procedural common skills the uh then there's also you know we can go towards we can target sensitive and vulnerable populations as well again they might not have that opportunity to care for those patients and it's really allows for a real inclusive model of education
0: great thank you so Nassim, one of the challenges I hear about Particularly, you know, as our class sizes gradually increase, the large number of students and the fact that simulation is really best taught in small groups. How is this or how can this be addressed at our institution?
3: Sure. Um, so, definitely keeping groups small allows learners to participate more effectively. Um, in my experience, group sizes are often dictated by the number of instructors who are available. Um, I think this can be addressed by training enough faculty to serve as debriefers and facilitators. Um, UMass Medical School can offer faculty development sessions to those interested in serving as debriefers and these sessions can give people a framework and tool set on how to debrief. Ideally faculty would also get the chance to practice in role play exercises as well.
2: Great, so yeah. can I just add one thing to that yeah. too? Um, So the role of observer in simulation has been studied and um, the learning is proven to be as effective and as long lasting as the role of the person participating. So especially from the lessons we've learned through the pandemic, we can have um, some learners in the observing role while some learners are in the active simulation role and that can help with the numbers.
1: That's a great point, Dr. Seymour, if I may, I'd also like to add to that.
0: Yes, please, Trent.
1: Okay, so um the simulation interest group, which I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, is um, a student run group, and we're really interested in questions like this as well, and you know how we can make a uh, simulation more accessible and one of the things we've found is uh student led simulations, so as I said, you know, I and a couple of other students have led scrub trainings in the past. Um, and, uh, we've, we've written that up and it it seemed to be validated. Uh, most recently we actually did a virtual simulation that was a casting training, uh, where we sent the, um, like by drop off, we sent uh, a Ziploc bag full of, you know, plaster and, um, Um, Like the wool undercast material um, and we just did it via zoom and we walked people through it on zoom and it also had really great responses. Um, You know, we have excellent faculty here and they're just also creative. Um, I I think that this is a challenge that we can definitely overcome.
0: Great points. Thank you. So Is ISOs capable? Do you think of handling an influx in the amount of simulation activities that we're hoping to bring along with our curriculum renovation project? What do you guys think?
4: Absolutely, Um, you know, where we've been operating on a model of growth, we've undergone a recent team restructuring to support the increased demand, and you know, we we've adapted to to welcome the larger class sizes, but also we're looking at you know. Integrating um, more faculty, as Nassim talked about, um, tr- training up that faculty to, to reach the larger number of students, and, and if that includes, you know, in, you know, expanding our hours and offering some um, evening simulation opportunities, I mean, we're, we're open to it, and we will meet that demand.
0: That's great. So I think after hearing this podcast, you're going to have a lot of interested faculty. So my next and last question for you guys is really a practical one. How can faculty maybe that don't have much experience with simulation or designing simulation activities, how can they get started? Are there people they can work with to develop an activity to go from idea to the actual um, simulation exercise? And at what point in that process should they be reaching out to ICells?
2: Yeah, I'll take that question. Um, thank you. If the Jorge and I are absolutely available to work with people to help develop simulations um, and it, to reach out to us as soon as you know you want to start it, because it takes a long time to develop an excellent simulation. Um, we definitely have an ICELS website where you can start the process, and that would involve putting in for a request and then we would contact, Jorge and I can contact the person interested in writing up the simulation. Um, the simulation would start with learning objectives. And based on those learning objectives, we can decide um, what type of simulators we need to include, what size the group um, needs to be for optimal learning. Um, and we definitely want to be involved in that process right away. But And I say it takes time because part of the development process is to do some dry runs and test it out to make sure it's going to be an excellent learning Learning opportunity for our students.
0: That's great, thanks Ann. So I've learned a bunch from you guys in this short 15 minutes. I've learned that simulation is a great patient safety strategy in medical education. It provides hands-on learning that is really favored by the students. It can address some of those low frequency um, learning events or medical events um, that are very high stakes. I've learned that it's um, high value for both the observer and the participant and that ICELS really um, is is willing and excited to work with faculty, no matter how little experience faculty have in designing simulation uh, activities. Anything else you wanna add for the podcast audience before we close? Well, we covered a lot. I really, really appreciate you guys taking some time out of your afternoon um, to share your expertise and knowledge about simulation and medical education with us. Thank you so much. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having us.